Thank you, Melissa, choir and orchestra. I tell you what, that's good news, isn't it? You know what? That city, that New Jerusalem's on the way. That's my hope. That's what I'm looking forward to, not anything that's going to happen this week. Now, I am looking forward to that, this one thing this week. You know, I'm guessing, what, about Friday? About Friday, we ought to hear the candidates for the 2012 presidential race. We, we can go ahead and get the political season kicked up and start working on the... Man, I tell you what, these elections wear you out, don't they? Is there anybody maybe just a little excited that it's finally about to be over? Yeah, a couple of us. Yeah. I mean, this thing goes on and on. Uh, you know what, folks, honestly, and I, I mean, I've only been now through, I guess, four or five elections, six elections that I've been a part of voting anyway. Uh, I don't know if this could be said at any other time in American history, but I honestly cannot imagine who'd want to be president of the United States in 2009. I mean, when you look at the volume of issues, the critical nature of those issues, I'll tell you something, this next president is going to get beat up. Because there's no way he's getting it all right. No, nobody is. No president ever has. No president ever will. What this president is looking at, though, is just such critical issues from Iran to oil to the economy to a government that is massively in debt to Wall Street. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And now here you and I are the voter. You know, we're trying to imagine a president getting his arms around these issues. But I, I guess our challenge is that you and I, we have to get our arms around these issues. We have to understand these issues because this Tuesday we're going to go and we're going to say, I want this guy to navigate us through these waters. To navigate us through these very troubled, these very difficult times. I mean, it's just so much. It's so much. I mean, it's real easy right now to just, you know, I appreciate what Congressman Forbes said about don't grow faint. Because, man, I think right now it's real easy just to throw your hands in the air and say, ah, you know, whatever happens, happens. It's not like I'm going to make any difference in that. You know what? It may be easy to feel that way. But folks, God doesn't give you the opportunity, doesn't give you the right to feel that way. What he challenges you with and challenges me with is to be involved, to care, to pray. You know, you hear a lot, you always have through our culture, you don't mix religion and politics. Now, I understand why a, a unbeliever says that. They don't believe in God. I don't want God involved in this. You know what blows me away, though, is that believers say it. And let me tell you what a believer is saying when he says you don't mix religion and politics. He's saying, I don't want to know what God has to say about this area, or I don't think God can say anything about this area. They've boxed God up and put him in a little compartment over here. Folks, you can't do that. That's wrong. That's wrong. You and I are accountable to God in everything that we do, everything that we don't do. We are accountable to God for what we do inside of a voting booth. You know, a dozen or so years ago, back in the mid-90s, uh, kind of a cliche, a phrase became very popular in politics. Faith, family, and values. We talk a lot about the impact, the role of faith in the government, but folks, my fear is that there is a growing trend where believers, I'm not talking about unbelievers here, where believers have a growing disconnect between their faith and what happens in a voting booth. CNN did a poll, it wasn't for this election, it was in the last election, CNN did a poll and asked the question, what impact will your faith, will your religion have 
on what you do in the voting booth. 65% of Americans said zero. My faith will have no impact on what I do in a voting booth. 50% of Americans, folks, go to church. Much higher percentage than that proclaims some kind of faith in Christ. And yet two out of every three Americans says it will have no impact on what I do in the polls. Now, folks, I don't know about you, but to me, that's a God who can't speak or who doesn't have answers for culture. That, that to me, is a God that's irrelevant and worthless. That's not my God. My God is involved in our leadership. My God is involved with the moral climate of our culture. And He calls you and I to be involved, not in our different groups that we're going to be broken down into in polls. He calls us to be involved as Christians. Now, why is it? Why should we, as Christians, be involved? Why should we pray? Well, a couple of, or why should we vote? A couple of reasons. First of all, you know, Jesus commands us to purposely, that's my key word there, He commands us to purposely have an impact on culture. In Matthew 5, He says, You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Folks, where there is salt, where there's light, you know it. You can't ignore them. They, they have an impact. They make a difference. And the difference we are to make, the impact that we are to have, is for righteousness. That means the result of our impact is right relationships. It's right standing. It's good works. It's good decisions. Good policies being made. That's to be the result. Now, how a believer anticipates that I'm going to pick up this command of God to be salt and light but, but now that's not supposed to influence, that's not supposed to impact what I do in the voting booth. That's not supposed to impact politics. Well, folks, that's, that's crazy. That doesn't make any sense. You know, one of these men is going to be president in a couple of days. And he is going to have an impact on the moral climate of our society, on the moral climate of our culture. You know, you don't hear a lot about that in the campaign. That's not a lot you hear a lot about in the news. You hear about all these other things. But my belief is that our moral climate has a whole lot more to do. It's more important than any of these other issues. Because our moral and climate determines if we're going to successfully deal with and answer these issues. This president is going to have an impact on abortion, on embryonic stem cell research, this president is going to have an impact on something you don't hear a lot about. You see it, you feel it every now and then. It has totally happened in Europe. It has totally happened in Canada. But that is a growing hostility between the government and the church. This president is going to have an impact on the view of the church in our culture. So when I think about being salt and light, I have to think about my leaders. I have to think about how they're going to lead and, and what they're going to bring to the table. And you get all scared. And go, well, gosh, what if we lose? You know, folks, I've got kind of an interesting thought on that. You know, when I go into a voting booth, I'm really not focused on whether I win or lose. I mean, I'm no different than anybody else. I, I want my candidate to win. Or if it's an issue, I want my side of the issue to win. But you know what? When I go to vote, my focus is not on whether I win the day. My focus is, am I faithful to God in this voting booth? Am I faithful to God inside this voting booth? So, folks, we need to be involved because Jesus commands us to have an influence. And when I leave that voting booth, I want the society to know, I want leaders to know, there's at least one person who thinks values are more important than their wallet. 
Second reason we're to be involved is because Jesus, the Bible, commands us to give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Now, when we hear that, we tend to think of taxes. That's what that passage is specifically about. But you know, there's a bigger principle there. We give to the government what the government calls for. We're good citizens in the United States of America. And folks, our government calls for us to vote. Our government anticipates that the people, we the people, hold our leadership accountable. You can't do that ultimately without the vote. Our government calls us to vote. If you and I are going to faithfully walk after and follow our God and honor Him, then we have to honor our government. And in this case, that means we vote. Third reason we are to be involved is because First Peter, particularly that passage, commands that we do good and that we silence foolish thinking. You know, elections are about ideas. Ideas are being put forth. And we have an opportunity in the ballot box. And I wouldn't say that's the only place. I wouldn't even say it's the most significant place. But it is a place where we can do good things. It is a place where we can influence the kind of ideas that continue to advance in our culture. Let me tell you the most foolish idea and opinion. The most foolish idea that has been advancing in our country for I think about 20 years now. And that is this growing idea of rights without responsibility. Give me, give me, give me, don't expect anything from me. And folks, that idea, that's not just a governmental thought or an elected leader's thought. It, it is in our schools, it's in our workplaces, it is everywhere we go. Give me something, expect nothing of me. That idea right there will cause this country to crumble. God doesn't call us to a life of zero responsibility. God calls us to a life of responsibility. I praise God I live in a country that has rights. And I want to use my rights. And I want to enjoy my rights. But let's start thinking more about responsibility in our country. A fourth reason we need to be involved is because we are commanded to pray for our leaders. You say, well, that says pray. It doesn't say vote. Well, let me give you a functional idea here about prayer. You pray about that which you're involved in. You pray about that which you're interested in. Chances are, if you're not voting, you're not interested. You're not involved. And you're not going to effectively pray for our leaders. You know, folks, what's going to happen this Tuesday is an intensely spiritual moment. And did you know that our founding fathers knew that? You won't learn that anymore in the schools, but they knew that. And our government was based on several biblical principles that no other government's been based on. And one of those principles is an idea you hear a lot about in church. Man is a sinner. Man is a sinner. Left to himself, he's not good. Left to himself, he doesn't get better. Men need to be held accountable. And our founding fathers looked throughout the world, they looked throughout history, and they looked at what power does to people. And so they built a government based on this biblical principles only found in the Bible that man needs to be held in check. And they built a government based on checks and balances, one branch watching another branch, checking another branch, and ultimately that accountability they put in your hands. We, the people, are to hold our government accountable. We do that prayerfully, and we do that at the election box. So, folks, we're to be involved. We are to be involved in this nation choosing a president. So, so how do we do that? 
Now, I'm going to use the word president this morning. That's kind of the focus. That's, that's the big one right now. But actually, everything I'm talking about, everything we're going to look at in Scripture is true, whether we're talking about the, the city council or the school board or a state senator or a, a, a national representative, any of these positions, this is what we're talking about. Now, first of all, in choosing a president, you pray. God, what do you want me to understand about what's going on right now in our culture? What do you want me to understand about these candidates? God, how do I best represent you in that voting booth? Folks, I believe the single most important goal that I should have, that you should have when we enter a voting booth, is to represent God. And we do that beginning with prayer. Now, with a spirit of prayer, we, we prayerfully turn to Scripture. And we say, God, have you given us any guidelines? Have you given us any principles for what the job of these people is supposed to be like? What their qualifications are supposed to be like? And sure enough, as it does in all issues, the Bible gives us answer after answer after answer. And the Bible does guide us on our officials. I want to look at one passage today. Exodus chapter 18. Would you turn there with me now? Exodus chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, we've got some in the chairs in front of you. If there's not one right in front of you, maybe two or three down if you point to it. I know somebody will hand it to you. We want everybody to have a copy of God's Word as we study what He has to say to us. We're in the second book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus. Exodus chapter 18. I'm going to begin in verse 17. Now, Moses is leading two million people through the desert. And he's taking care of all of this by himself. And his father-in-law is kind of observing all this. And he says, Moses, man, you're going to kill yourself. And ultimately, you're not going to take care of all these people. And so he starts to give them some advice. And you know what's interesting is his advice is, basically, for lack of a better word, you need to put a government in place. And in that, we see a job description. In that, we see qualifications. Let's look at it. Exodus chapter 18. I'm going to begin here in verse 17. It says, what you're doing is not good, Moses' father-in-law said to him. You will certainly wear out both yourself and these people who are with you. Because the task is too heavy for you. You can't do it alone. Now listen to me, and I will give you some advice. God be with you. Number one. This is the job description of a president. Number one, you be the one to represent people before God. And number two, bring their cases to him. Number three, instruct them about the statutes and laws and teach them the way to live and what they must do. And number four, you should select from all the people. Folks, what you've got there, now obviously a president, a national leader does a lot more than that. But what you have there is the foundation of, of a, of a national leader's job description. Then after being given this job description, he moves into qualifications for people who serve in these positions. Verse 21. But you should select from all the people, look at this, number one, able men. Number two, God-fearing. Number three, trustworthy. Number four, hating bribes. Place them over the people as officials of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They should judge the peoples at all times. 
Then they can bring you every important case, but judge every minor case themselves. In this way, you will lighten your load and they will bear it with you. If you do this and God so directs you, you will be able to endure. And also all the people, would you look at this last phrase? And all the people will be able to go home satisfied. Can we imagine? Can we pray for? Can we anticipate a day in which our government sends everybody home satisfied? Should be a part of our prayer, shouldn't it? Now let's look at this. We've got a job description here of a national leader. Now it starts off by saying here, he should represent the people to God. Now you know what, we look at that, and and especially in our context, sitting here in church, we would tend to say, well gosh, then the national leader should be a Christian, somebody that's walking with God, has a close relationship with God, he's going to represent God to the people and the people to God. That's kind of how we would define representing the people to God. And that's kind of what I would pray for. That's what I would hope for. But you know what? There's a principle here that rises above just that. As a matter of fact, I could imagine, I could see two candidates in which both say, I'm not a believer. I'm not a Christian. We've got two candidates. I'm not saying today, right now, we have those two candidates. I'm saying imagine two candidates like that. This principle right here is still in place. Because you know what? When you and I pull the lever or fill in the dot or push through that hole, please push all the way through the hole. Don't leave anything hanging. When you and I do that, we're selecting somebody and we're saying, God, this is us. This is who we are. This is what we believe in. This is what is important to us. This is where we're going. This is the person. Folks, the President of the United States represents who we are as a people. This is what we're telling God we are. Let me give you an illustration of that. What do you think of when you think of an Iranian? Probably you tend to think of somebody like Aminajab. Hateful, mean, crazy, once Jews dead, once Americans dead, a danger to the world. We tend to define that entire country that way. It's difficult not to. I'm going to step out on limb and say there's probably a couple of Iranians who don't agree with what he's doing. There's probably a couple of Iranians who don't hate America, who don't hate Jews, who don't want everybody dead. You know what? I'll bet there's a lot of Iranians that are just a whole lot like you and me. Just trying to take care of a family, just trying to make their way in this world. But you know it'll be very difficult for you and I to ever see an Iranian family, to see an Iranian individual that way because we define the entire country by that leader. You can't get past it. A nation is represented by its leader. But now here's the strange thing. They're stuck with him. We actually get to choose ours. I think this principle is more true in our form of government than it is in the other form of government. Some of those governments got stuck with who's leading them. We chose ours. How much more God has the right to define this entire nation by the leader we say, this is us. When we vote, we need to be thinking about who do I see saying, God, this is me. This is what we're about. Second thing we see here in this job description is he carries the cases to God. I'd like to kind of define that principle as I'm looking for somebody who prays. I tell you what, folks, it scares me to think of an individual who thinks they've got an answer for everything going on in this country. Because I tell you something, they don't. 
It doesn't matter what their party is. They don't have an answer for everything going on in this country. I'm looking for somebody. Hard to determine sometimes. Hard to discern sometimes. In either candidate, in any race, does this person bow the knee? Will they ask God for help? Will they ask God for wisdom? And I'm looking for that in anybody that I vote for. Do they go to God? What's the third thing here? You see it in verse 20. And it talks about instructing the people and statutes and laws and teaching them. You say, well, that's not a, that's not a leader. That's a, that's a teacher or that's a, a preacher. But you know what we see here, folks, is our national leader should be somebody who's an effective communicator of what is good. And he inspires the people to good. And, and, and he brings out the best in us. I don't even know if we look at this in a campaign. Will this person model good things, inspire and challenge us to rise up and to do good things? What is right and good in our world? We should look for it. It should be a part of the job description. And then the last thing that it says here, notice this phrase, verse 21, but you should select from all the people. Do you notice that phrase? Select from all the people. Folks, the very important key to this job description is discernment. You know, we're only electing one person. We're just going to elect this one man to lead our nation. But he is then going to surround himself with people. Because he doesn't know everything. And so he's got to get expertise and, and he's got to get people who are good at certain areas. And those people then are going to become the influence on what he does. Now, you know what? You and I don't have a chance to know all of the people that he's going to surround himself with. But you know what? We should look at his life and we should see what kind of people does he surround himself with because that's who's going to influence what he does. There, there's another side to this coin. Not only does the president surround himself with people, but he appoints people. You know, we talk a lot about the impact that a president has on a nation. Folks, the most significant impact he has is in the people he appoints. Because sometimes that presidency or that president lives well beyond his presidency in his selections. Our Supreme Court is a great example of that. Our Supreme Court has done great good in this country. And our Supreme Court has done great evil in this country. And you know, there were times when they were doing that great evil that the men who were doing that were appointed well beyond. That president that appointed them was years, even decades ago. So you see, this man is going to put people into positions that are going to have a profound impact on this country. As you and I pray, as we think who can take this kind of job, we need to look at what kind of discernment does this person have? What kind of people does he surround himself with? What kind of people is he going to be putting into place? Because some of those people may have a bigger impact on our life than the very president himself. Now, with just job description in place, the scripture then goes on and gives us some qualifications. Look at this first one here in verse 21. A simple four letter word, able. He's able. He's able to do the job. It's a crazy idea, isn't it? Where does God come up with this stuff? You know, I say that almost jokingly, folks. Are campaigns about ability? Absolutely not. Campaigns are words and ideas and promises. 
I'm not saying they don't either candidate or candidates don't try to interject ability somewhere, but folks, the people don't ask for ability. The media doesn't research ability. God says, no, when you put leaders in place, you should be able to see a track record. You should be able to see, here's what I've done at whatever level. But here's what I've done, and here's why I believe it can be done at this level. Here's what I've done, and here's how it will extrapolate out into a bigger context. We should be measuring ability more than anything else. And yet, what are we weighing? Words and ideas that folks quite often in the day have absolutely no meaning at all. That's true for both parties. That's true for both candidates. You know, have you ever thought about looking back? What, what did Bush and Kerry promise? What did Bush and Gore promise? What did Clinton and Dole promise? I'll tell you what, campaigns are filled with things that we'll never see again. Ability. God says, look at ability. Look at the second qualification, God-fearing. God-fearing. You know, I, I could take that word and do a couple of things with it. Humility. You know, somebody who doesn't think all power and wisdom resides in me. I am the answer to America. I am the answer to the state. Now, they should be God-fearing. They should recognize, you know what? Folks, I think I've got a lot of good ideas. There's a lot of things I'm going to try to do. But at the end of the day, biblically speaking, I believe I'm accountable to God. Constitutionally speaking, I believe I'm accountable to you. I'm not the most powerful man in the world. We, the people are the most powerful people in the world. Man, do we have somebody that is humble, that recognizes I'm not the top, but there's somebody above me? You know, at times it's difficult to discern whether that's where a candidate is or not. But here again, what have we said over and over today? We've got to be praying. Well, what am I praying for? God bless, help, hope it works out. No, I'm saying, God, would you, would you give me wisdom here? God, would you grant us God-fearing people as our leaders. God, would you give me insight as to the officials that I'm interested in, the, the officials that I'm leaning toward voting for? Are they God-fearing? Look for God-fearing people. Third, we see here trustworthy. Well, that's kind of a funny one, isn't it? Here again, God has these crazy ideas. Think of the hundreds of millions of dollars that have been spent in the last three or more four months saying, can't trust him. That's another big part of campaign. You can't trust him. You can't trust him. Okay, great. I can't trust him. What can I trust about you? Folks, we need to be praying. We need to be looking. Is this somebody I can trust? Does their past? Folks, look at these words that God throws out here that refer to a past. We're to weigh a past. We're not to weigh just the future words, the future promises. We're to weigh a past. Is it trustworthy? And then look at this last one, hating bribes. You know, obviously they're not taking money under the table. But folks, there's a bigger principle there. We ought to be putting people into office that have convictions. And obviously they communicate those convictions. Here are my convictions. Here are my principles. This is how I will be making decisions. This is what I will be standing on. And those convictions and principles are not going to be sold for money. They're not going to be sold for votes. They're not going to be sold for political expediency. They're not going to be sold so I can make my way in through the system. You know, I'm not sure convictions and principles work anymore in the system. Politics, it's a game. It's the way it is. Well, folks, that just means we need to buckle down and pray a little bit harder, doesn't it?
Because according to God, that's the way it should be. Our candidates, our leaders shouldn't be for sale. You know, God's word's pretty clear, isn't it? What we should be looking for, what we should be voting for, what we should be praying about. This Tuesday, our nation will have an opportunity to do what is still, I think, a very unique experiment in the history of the world. We're going to choose a leader. We're going to have a peaceful transfer of leadership. It's kind of exciting to be involved in something like that, to watch something like that. I think we need to pray for this president. As I've already said, I think he's got one more giant job in front of him in which more likely he's going to get beat up no matter what he does. And you and I are responsible for this entire process. And we take on that process with prayer. We take on that process by getting involved and knowing and understanding the the candidates, understanding the culture, understanding the climate morale, morale wise, morality wise, trying to understand where these guys are going and what they are doing. And then you and I step into that booth. To represent God. Let me say something this morning. Very, very, very un-American. You do not have the right to vote for who you want. Let me say it again. You do not have the right to vote for who you want. Tuesday night it will begin. Wednesday morning, we'll see it laid out in the paper. And they are going to break us all up. Isn't it interesting? All these campaigns talk about unity and bringing America together. And yet, everything they're going to do, they're going to break us up. They're going to break us up into white angry males. Whites and blacks. Republicans and Democrats. Male and female. And we're going to see how we all break up as groups. Folks, according to the scriptures, when I go into that booth, I don't go in there under any of those identities. Galatians chapter 3 tells me I'm neither male nor female. I'm neither Jew nor Gentile. Folks, when I go into that booth, I have one identity. You have one identity. You are a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a slave, you can do but one thing, and that is fulfill the agenda of your master. Folks, that's true on Tuesday. But guess what? It's true on Monday. It's true on Wednesday. It's true next Saturday. It's true when I'm in a voting booth. It's true when I enter my marriage. It's true when I enter my parenting. It's true when I enter the school, when I go to work, when I go into hobby, everywhere I go. I got one agenda to fill. Master, what do you want in my life? What do you want me to do right here? You know what the God anticipated was the beauty of the church? Our unity. You know what, in this room right now, according to the media, there are whites and there are African Americans and there's Republicans and there's Democrats and there's male and there's female. We're supposed to be angry at each other. Perhaps not even like each other for different reasons. But what Scripture says is, no, we come together under one identity, Jesus Christ. And we have enjoyed each other today. And we have worshipped together. And it should be no different when we go into that voting booth on Tuesday. One identity, followers of Jesus Christ. One agenda, His. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we ask for your blessing and your guidance on our nation. God, I I believe across this room, we are grateful that we've been born into the United States of America. We are grateful for the rights and the freedoms that we do enjoy and that we get to express. And Father, as the congressman said a moment ago, we don't think it was our wisdom and power that did that. We acknowledge you as the giver of every good thing, whether it is a government or whether it is a meal. God, every good thing this day and in this world is from your hand and we give you praise and thanks for it. And we thank you that we get to be a part of a country where we choose our leaders and we can have a peaceful transfer of leadership. And God, we pray that you will guide our nation this Tuesday. Lord, I pray that as believers right now that we are joining Tens and hundreds of thousands of churches across this land. And you are seeing a people who bow the knee. A people who acknowledge you as creator and as Lord. As the giver of every good thing. As a people who are depending upon you. And God, in that dependence, would you bless? Would you bless us with godly leaders? God-fearing leaders? Men and women of conviction and principle. Who will depend upon you. And who will represent us well to this world and to you. God, we need your help in that. We ask for your help in that. We ask that you would bless and guide this country. God, as I, as I pray about that, I pray the church would be a good thing in this land. And I think there's some people who really look poorly on the church. And Father, I confess to you, sometimes they have good reason to. God, you've put the government here for justice. You've put the church here for righteousness. And I pray that we would be what you've put us here to be. A people of right standing, good works, right relationships. A people who live rightly before you. God, help us in all this. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.